This Future Construct podcast episode is supported by Applied Software. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. So visit asti.com, it's A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that we here at Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Future Construct podcast. I am your host, Amy Peck. And today we have with us a, one of my friends, I can call a friend, Howard Berger, who is the managing partner at Realcom. Welcome. Thanks, Amy. And I'm honored to be a friend. Uh, <laughs> we, we, in, our, in our relatively short period, we've already, I think, done some pretty incredible things. And um, thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. And, and, you know, this, this was prompted because, you know, I've been a part of Realcom now for a couple of years and, you know, you were one of the first to do a hybrid conference in the, you know, thick of the recent kerfuffle. And it was, it, it really was amazing. And so I I definitely want to talk about that and we'll come back to that, Mm -hmm. but I'd love to just you know, tell us a little bit about your journey to this industry and then how you became involved with, uh, with Realcom. Well, it's, it's not a short journey. So I'm going to go back over 30 years. Uh, so got, got out of, got, got out of, got out of college, um, went immediately into information, uh, information technology, um, kind of doing big mainframe stuff. Um, from there, my dad, who was a chemical engineer living in Chicago at the time, said, you know, I really want to get back to Southern California. How'd you like to start a real estate company? And so we started an investment commercial real estate firm uh, down in Long Beach. And I soon discovered uh, the how analog and how far behind the commercial and investment real estate industry was in terms of adopting technology. So uh, I saw a lot of opportunity given my IT background at the time, and I got tied. I, I tied in with a startup um, up in LA that was producing digital data sets on large mainframes that mortgage companies and bankers and appraisal firms could use to better understand uh, the industry. Really very, very deep uh, data on properties, transactions, and whatnot. Uh, that spanned uh, the entire U.S. And they were updating this information every day. Now, this is, mind you, this is 1987. This is like seven seven years into my real estate career. Uh, And I just, I said, this is what we need. Um, And so I I started producing uh, data sets. We were later acquired by a series of companies, Data Quick, Experian, then TRW, uh, the aerospace firm, and then later, First American Title, and now that data set is called CoreLogic, which you may have heard oh, yeah. about yeah. right now. It's still in existence. Yeah. So we were we we're kind of the the beginning stages of that, and during that journey, and I'd say this is the early '90s, uh, I started producing some data for a gentleman uh, named Jim Young, who's currently our Realcom CEO. He was at that point. Chief Information Officer for Sperry Van Ness, a commercial services firm in Southern California. So we got to know each other. And he said, you know, I have this idea. We're both kind of on the same path. He said, I, I want to start a consulting firm and I want to automate the commercial real estate industry. 
So I want to go into big companies. I want to teach them how they can apply, how they can digitally transform everything about their operations because it's coming. Someone's got to do it. We've we've lived it. We can articulate. And I said, okay, that sounds like a great idea. So over on the side, I started consulting with Jim and did that for a few years and had some large international clients. Really, I think started just that process of the industry understanding what prop tech is. Now, mind you, this is 1993, 94. Um, and so we did that for about seven years. And then in 99, we said, listen, you know, we're, we're going into all of these companies. We're writing these huge project, uh, you, know, uh, you know, project scopes of work. Half of the companies really aren't doing all of the things that we want them to do. Let's find the folks who really get what we're talking about. So what we decided to do is we, we launched a conference, RealCom, in 1999. And tagline was at the intersection of the technology, automation, and innovations, the commercial and corporate real estate industries. And the idea was um, we're going to find the top 3% of those companies. We focused on the big REITs, owner developers, those folks that had an IT staff, um, and somebody that was in charge of, and we, and, and at a very early stage, we said, you know, these companies are tremendously analog. I mean, they're doing million, million dollar deals uh, on the backs of napkins. They have no data. They're totally disorganized. Um, they're siloed. They, they, they may understand, they may have a concept of what IT is, but no concept of how to apply it to their organizations. Um, so we thought, Geez, if we can find, if we can get them together and start creating an educational program, plus get them talking to each other. Now, at that point, uh, back now we're talking early two thousands. Uh, if you were a, a large real estate organization and you wanted to start playing with technology, you said, "Okay, we need a new financial system, or we want to manage our leases." There was really no place to go to get information. I mean, the internet was. I mean, you didn't have a Yelp where people could send in their reviews on a Yardi or an MRI or, a, you know, a, 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 some kind of a BIM program. Uh, and folks typically weren't talking to each other because they all thought the technology was a competitive advantage. So we said, okay, we're going to go after the folks that are in charge of technology. They're going to be the agents of change for their organizations. And so we created a, a group, a community, so to speak, of industry leaders and that. And then, so that, that kind of started us off and we uh, we kind of grew. We started with back office technologies and then we just started going horizontally throughout the organization. Anything that touched technology was pretty much fair game. Then the thing that opened our eyes is we started traveling around the world. We started hearing what's going on in Asia. Uh, and we started organizing trips to Asian companies. We did one trip, we did, we did a few of these. And we bring, uh, folks from the industry, senior industry leaders, we bring uh, developers, we bring some politicians sometimes to come see what's going on in the rest of the world so they could get an idea of what we weren't doing here, uh, where we stood in, you know, kind of that continuum of uh, adoption of technology. And it was really an eye opener. We did, uh, I mean, the last one we did in Asia, this is probably the 2007 timeframe. Uh, we visited eight countries, 32 projects. It was bang, bang, bang. Everyone was exhausted, but everyone said they'd never seen anything like it. And uh, the executives from Cisco came back and started their smart connected building program. 
And that kind of spread through, it, it really catalyzed the industry. We did the same thing in the Middle East, did the same thing in Europe. And, and that kind of level set us as to, you know, what where the industry is going. We learned about things like um, all processes in a building being IP enabled and then being able to be connected to the internet. So that was really the first inspiration for what we would call the internet of things for buildings. We used to call it BIOT, the building internet of things. So uh, stop me if I'm going too crazy. No, no, no. This uh, this is great because I because I think it's um it, it really is a great history lesson on kind of where the industry has been. So from there, um, we um, we started building some momentum, and we, uh, we of course we were running the RealCom conference that uh, you know that inspiration that not only will real estate companies need uh, to have accounting systems and leasing processes, uh, you know, tightened up and their accounts payable, but they're going to, at some point, they're going to need to start reckoning with the fact that all of their systems in their buildings, their lighting, their HVAC, their security, their video cameras, they're all going to be IP enabled. Back in those days, they weren't, you know, they were just plugged in and they had an on off switch you know, maybe they had a they had a dial to dial them up or dial them down, but they weren't computer controlled. And we knew that all of that data was going to be running over a network. So it was going to be important for everyone from the manufacturers like Johnson Controls and Honeywell's and Siemens to the, you know, large REITs, Boston Properties, the Tishmans and the, uh, you know, the Lend Leases and all the, and, and all the folks that own and operate and develop real estate to understand that, uh, they're going to have to know, they're going to have to start intersecting with that world and that the world of IT was going to intersect or collide with a world of operational technologies that both are actually, they are, they are in different worlds. They speak different languages. They were going to have to start becoming brothers, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and so we started, and I think we were, we catalyzed a lot of those conversations simply by finding the folks in the industry that were really at, at the leading edge of the spear. They were they were really at the cutting edge. They understood this and they were taking risks to do this stuff and, and bring this stuff together and understand it and, and start actualizing it in their own companies. So that became our, our core community. It evolved into us launching the IBCon conference, which now sits with Realcom. They're kind of twins um, uh, that, uh, that we host typically. Uh, in June, of course, last year kind of pushed us off our schedule a little bit. Uh, and we're in November this year, but we're going to get back to our regular June schedule. And then um, in addition to that, I've been doing these small regional events with CIOs and CTOs and COOs and CEOs pretty much all over the world. I do them in the U.S., in Asia, and in Europe um, so that small so regional groups can kind of understand what's going on around the world and we can help focus uh, focus them on kind of the issues that 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 challenge with regionally. Uh, we do a bunch of webinars, about one a week, and uh, then we launched in 2010 a uh, a conference specifically for corporate real estate occupiers. This is the Googles, the Intels, the Microsoft, the Bank of Americas, and American Express. It's a big corporate occupier. They're not not the not the landlords, but the tenants uh, that occupy to do their businesses, and they usually have huge portfolios. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, some, some of the largest in the world. 
So they needed their own conference. We run Cortech usually in the fall. Um, and um, that's kind of kept us pretty busy um, it, and um, kept us at the edge, kept us connected with a community of who I would call doers. They're the, you know, they're, they're the three percenters, the two percenters that are really out there making a difference and trying things. So, um, you know, I've been very fortunate uh, yeah. to be able to be a managing partner. I, I, I focus on the educational programs. So I kind of figure out what we're going to talk about. We're going to bring in speakers. Um, and I'm, I'm usually blessed with being able to find some of the best speakers in the world like yourself, Amy, uh, to, uh, uh, to help us develop our programs. And you had mentioned Denver, our hybrid conference. Um, last year, uh, as a result of uh, just a, a necessity to be able to do things differently, we, uh, uh, we decided to put a stake in the sand. All the other industry association conferences were canceling for 2020. We said, listen, we, are, we have to set an example for the industry. Uh, the folks that come to our conferences, they run buildings. People have to get into back into buildings. We need to figure out a way to show them how. Um, so we decided, listen, we're going to do a hybrid conference. We're going to have, it's going to be uh, a combination hybrid being, we're going to have a live component. People will actually be there participating, but we're also going to open it up virtually. And what we did is we had two and a half days of a virtual event, all virtual, uh, 250 speakers, about 170 individual sessions uh, done uh, in a very engaging way. We uh, literally scoured the world for a platform that we could do this on, and then we tore it apart and customized it. Um, so that we could create something that folks would be comfortable dealing with and not just another, uh, you know, virtual, just another crazy virtual platform. Um, and uh, so we had two and a half days of virtual. And then we had our hybrid event uh, in Denver. We took a ballroom at the Gaylord Rockies and we outfitted it like a, well, like a production studio, had an LED wall. And um, we... You know, we we streamed, we broadcast, we hosted uh, our live sessions there, and uh, we had a good mix of live versus versus remote. And I think we did did a good job of being able to make that hybrid uh, feel engaging. Um, so that was our first attempt. Um, it took us it was harder than I ever expected. It took us uh, it burned more brain cells than. I normally would at a conference, but I think it was worth it. And we learned a lot doing it. And our one of our missions has been to share that knowledge with the industry because we think that building owners need to know this stuff because uh, they're going to building owners and occupiers are going to need to be able to incorporate these types of technologies uh, and strategies into their businesses and into their events and into their buildings. Yeah. Yeah. So just, and you know, leading by example. This episode of the Future Construct podcast is supported by the amazing team at Applied Software. They have solutions for any modern project. Applied Software is on a mission to transform industry by empowering their clients and being the champions of innovation with their real-world expert consultants. They have a comprehensive suite of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing, and they have a singular focus to help you achieve higher performance. 
They have software, training, support, consulting, and custom development. Applied Software has you absolutely covered for all of your workflow needs. And BIM Designs is proud to be a client and partner of Applied Software. So visit ASTI.com, that is A-S-T-I.com, and please let them know that Future Construct and BIM Designs sent you. No, and and it was it was so refreshing. And I think I was actually at the airport for one of the digital panels and then got on a plane and came to Denver and then was there for the next day. And you know, it it, it I think it was really inspirational on, on a number of levels. I mean, the content is is always great, but you know, to, to show like, look, we can we can actually do this and, and it 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 can be successful. And you can have meetings and you can be safe. And it was, and it was really, really well done. And I remember, you know, all of the tables were, were sort of six feet, you know, diameter. And so you could have four people that were, you know, kind of safely apart. And, and you had some, some, actually some great technology there that, that was, uh, you know, sort of brand new cutting edge safety technology. Um, and then great sessions. So it was, you know, hats oh, off. Nice. I mean, it was, I know, I know I can imagine how hard it was. And now you, you certainly verified that. The thing, and I, 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 I can't impress it strongly enough, the thing that we didn't, up until the minute we pushed the start button before the conference, we did not know if it was going to work or break. We had, I, there were so many small technical issues we'd never dealt with that we had to deal with on the fly that could have taken us down dramatically. It just never ceases to amaze me that we got through it without, uh, you know, without a massive blow up. But it worked. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. It was fun. It was really good, and it was and it was, it was really refreshing to uh, kind of be out and about. Um, so, you know, you you're in a really interesting position, and I think I think the first real com I went to was actually in Vegas, and I I was moderating one of the panels, and I was very impressed with. I think we had somebody from Irvine Group, and uh, you know, we had a, had a, had then a couple of solution providers, um, and I was I was really impressed with some of the companies that were there that were you know who were really leveraging the technology. Um, but but one of the things that I think that's remarkable in this industry, and I'd love to get your take on it, is that you do have those who are out there kind of forging a path, uh, but then you have others that are just kind of clinging to these arcane systems because it's just what they know, and that's it's kind of battling inertia, right? And it's going to be very difficult for them to, to, you know, compel their workforce to embrace the new technology, but also just really kind of create this, um, this change that needs to occur. And to your point, you know, across, you know, you know, every business unit within their companies. And so, you know, what, what are the companies that are getting it right? We don't have to name names. Um, but the companies who are getting it right, you know, what is the secret? I mean, is it really just start somewhere? I mean, I, I think I think you highlighted it. You know, one of the uh, one of the drawbacks of our industry is it it is very slow to adoption. Uh, a lot of the technologies that we're starting that this new prop tech. Uh, movement is highlighting have been around for over 20 years. We were doing holographic teleportation of speakers on our main stage in 2001. Um, we were talking about, I mean, there, there are still companies that um, only take rent 
via a check. They're, they have not automated payments there. So it's, you know, just a couple of examples that, that what I, I think what it takes is there has to be someone in the organization with a vision. Um, and I, I think that vision has to, you know, the, at some level, the, the, the executive, the executive leadership, um, you know, has to, has to buy into it. Um, organizations are just really resistant to change. Um, but if, uh, you know, I think in all, most of the examples that we've seen, um, uh, of companies being successful, there was a driver, there was a leader. Uh, there was a, there was an advocate who could articulate a business case, had the sense to be able to, um, uh, to be able to organize projects in a way that they got small successes, they built up. Um, there was a, there was a science to, you know, to, to change and transformation. Um, there'll be some organizations that will never, they'll never change until they have to. Right. Until they start losing business, until their tenants stop, you know, you know, stop, uh, uh, you know, uh, renewing their leases, uh, uh, you know, until they, st- they start getting, a, you know, tons of complaints uh, from uh, uh, from their tenants and, and, and from their visitors um, there. And then and then there are other organizations that see the writing on the wall. So, uh, you know, I think it starts with a, you know, with an advocate, with somebody who's really going to really understands and can articulate, um, you know, a good business case in the organization. I, I mean, I, I hate to say it. I mean, a good portion of our organization for the past 25 years has been older white guys in their, you know, 50s and 60s and 70s uh, that don't necessarily understand, you know, the trajectory of technology and what it can, uh, you know. Well, and the workforce, clearly. <laughs> Where the workforce is going, yeah. So uh, that is that is changing. I'm happy to see it, but is it changing fast enough? Not for my, uh, not fast enough for me. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, we're we're also seeing, um, you know, just the way space is going to be utilized. You know, it, it is changing. Um, you know, people are home. People are not necessarily going back to work. I, you know, I don't know that that. Um, we've landed in a, in, a, in a new normal, or even if that term's even relevant now, I think it's it's the sands of change now. I think are going to continue in different ways. Uh, but but how do you think that this you know will will impact just the use of space and how will technology you know kind of help us define again? You did a you know you did a hybrid event, but but really when you think about hybrid workforces. I mean, construction requires people to be on site, of course. Um, but for those who don't, you know, what do you see as some of the technologies that are emerging to, to support this kind of fractious workforce? That's a great question. Um, and I just preface it by saying that even uh, up, until, uh, up until recently, uh, we have been grossly underutilizing the space that we have. Um, at any one point in most major office buildings, just about anywhere in you know in urban in in, in class A urban whether it's class A urban or even a suburban office, a suburban office was starting to go down. Class A office was uh, you know uh, was kind of level, but you were you were talking of sixty percent occupancy. So there were indications, whether it was in retail or in office. Uh, that we might have been overbuilt. You know, we started out, 
250 square feet per person working in a building. They had an office. And we started organizing cube farms back in the 60s. People went down to 100 square feet. Uh, then we went to an open office concept. Uh, questionable whether that was, if whether that really helped utilization, uh, kind of moved to activity-based work. I think, um, you know, I think right now what we, we came to a huge realization, our workforce came to a huge realization and did the executives um, who both build buildings and operate buildings that people can work remotely. They can work out of their homes. Um, and there's a good portion of the workforce that said, we really like working out of our homes. We, you know, in some cases, we like working out of our homes more than we do schlepping to an office uh, every day and working there. I think we're in a transition period right now. A lot of folks were, uh, a lot of uh, uh, corporate occupiers were looking to open up their offices and start flowing back in workers. First, it was June 15th. Now, uh, now it's after Labor Day, summer at the end of the year. Some folks are looking at June 2020 to get up to that 50% level. I don't think we really know how it's going to go yet. I think there are there are still more questions than answers, but we have learned that not everyone has to be in an office. Um, there are people that have to collaborate. Uh, our construction workers have to be on the site. Um, you know, engineers working on projects have to collaborate. There are times in very creative positions, those spontaneous collaborations that happen in the hall, they're they, they make the difference between uh, success and not having success. But does the accountant have to be in the office? Do the back office workers need to be in the office? They need collaborative technology so that they can have a meeting. And, you know, it, and will it look like, you know, I think a lot of corporations are looking more at that three, two, two, three days in the office, two days home, two days off. Um, is that realistic? It, I mean, it, it sounds like it makes sense, but it, it still that won't work for everybody. There, there is a percentage, there are a percentage of folks that absolutely want to be back in the office. There are a percentage of folks that have said, my lifestyle has shifted. I actually want to work at home. I can do, get just as much done. And there are arguments on both sides whether productivity improves or uh, is, is impaired uh, by remote work. I think this is all playing out in front of our eyes right now. Yeah. And I think we'll know we'll have a much better idea, um, you know, how the science, how the science of hybrid is going to evolve. But I think it will require technologies It will require a new understanding of how we look at work, how we measure work um, and uh, just, just that whole uh, and what we need to do to attract people back to the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's interesting too, because I think we saw the trend, um, you know, in, even in 2018, 2019 of, you know, really a focus more on a work-life balance, you know, this sort of 60 hour, uh, work week and working on weekends and not seeing your family. You know, I think people were, were getting a little, um, kind of fed up with that and looking for ways to balance out. And then, you know, as everyone started working from home, uh, you know, on a daily basis and got to see their families. All for some people, that was a blessing and a curse. Or a curse. <laughs> but, you know, but what was really nice about it is, you know, you know, you'd be on a, you know, call, you know, really serious call with someone. And then all of a sudden someone's like cat would walk across their keyboard and, you know, you'd see this like tail go across the screen. 
And I think we were reminded that, you know, we're just people, right? We're, and we're all sort of connected. And we're used to that now. Yeah. You know, we're used to the dog in the background. Yeah. We're used to the we kid. You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it, it personalizes everyone, which I think was a good thing. Yeah. 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 I know. I think so. But I think that also it's, it's magnified this, this notion, you know, you're talking about like, well, how are we going to structure the work week? And, and, you know, it's almost like it's, it's not necessarily just about the productivity metric that companies who are going to win in the space are going to look at what motivates their workforce and what does their workforce care about. And by focusing on that, rather than just the productivity metric, that will in fact benefit the productivity metric because you're going to have a happier workforce and therefore they will be more productive. But it's kind of a big science project now. It, I mean, it is because people are going to have people who are, who have been working at home, they're going to have to feel like there's a motivation for them to go back into the office. Um, they're certainly going to need to have as good or better technology there. And the experience has to incentivize them um, to go in. So, uh, you know, so those folks that are responsible for workplace design and strategy, uh, you know, are looking at things like, um, is this a healthy working environment? Um, you know, indoor air quality, uh, is, is it what it should be? Uh, you know, so folks feel safe. Uh, they feel healthy. They feel safe. Um, are they making the right connections? Are they, uh, do they have the support of technology here to do some, to, to do collaborative work? I mean, it's, it's, it's one thing doing zoom calls on, uh, you know, on your laptop, but can I create a better experience here in the office that's more immersive, uh, connects us in ways that we really can't do as well on the small screen, um, and and that enhances that whole the whole collaborative e- effort. So I think um, you know both landlords who who build the buildings and uh, kind of maintain that space for for the occupiers who have the have the employees. Um, it's starting to have some kind of interesting conversations on how they can work together to just enhance the experience from the time, uh, you know, the employee or the visitor or the occupant walks through the door, even before they walk through the door and they go through the act, they go through the lobby and, and the, in the, in the gateway and the elevator going up to the office, um, that they, they, they create just a whole envelope of uh, enhanced experience. We're starting to see those, those conversations now. Um, you know, the question is, will we, how will that impact how we use space? Um, you know, if we were only at 60% utilization in 2019, um, what is that going to do to utilization now? What's that going to do to portfolio rationalization and resizing in the future? Um, are, we're still building buildings. Do we really need all that space? If we do, what happens to all the class B and class C space that doesn't get improved? Um, what do we, what do we do with that? I mean, uh, do we turn that into, you know, into, um, affordable, affordable housing? Well, I can, I can, you know, my, my, my former city, again, we're not going to go naming names, but yeah, I think my former city could definitely use that. Yeah, no, I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, you know, of course, I'm going to say what we sh- should be doing is is having dedicated immersive space where we can actually 
you know, have, you know, again, a hybrid scenario where you have your you know, you have avatars, you were able to bring in 2D and 3D assets, you're all able to work on the same designs. I mean, you know, the AUC industry is a 3D industry, right? That's been, that's managed to, to teach itself how to be effective in a 2D world. And, you know, these 3D environments require one thing that we haven't always had in offices that we have now, and that's space. Right. We can have even a holodeck now. You know, you can have a whole, you know, room yeah. that's dedicated to this immersive collaboration. So I'm kind of hoping that that we see more of that in, in the coming years. <laughs> oh, me too. We're pushing it. So one of the things we're doing with these hybrid events is we're trying to teach folks and and, and we're playing around with the the holodecks and the teleportation and all of that stuff. We're trying to teach like landlords, like some of the big landlords. I mean, you need to have a production studio uh, with green screen and a large LED wall and full motion AR, VR, uh, you know, in your building as an amenity for your tenants, because they're going to want to use this stuff for collaboration. Um, You know, we played around with the idea of, uh, you know, kind of creating a, creating not, not a studio in a box. Well, yeah, a a capture studio, right. And it's less and less expensive. And the same way you'd have to carve out some space for conference rooms, you're just going to have to create more space to be able to enable. And again, the cost and and the technical requirements of these you know volumetric capture studios is going to come way down and be much simpler. But you know, imagine being able to have these virtual meetings where you're actually looking at somebody's. It's not just an avatar. You know, it's it's their it's their hologram. And how does that whole thing change when instead of you know, just having a, you know, 75 inch um, LED screen, you have a 20 by 10 or, you know, 20 by 40 LED wall where you're, where you're bringing in folks, uh, but in there, they're not tiny little tiles. They're full size. This yeah. is one of the things we're playing around with uh, for our event this week is making people absolutely life size bringing the LED wall down to the floor so that if I'm standing up in front of that LED wall, I can be talking to someone remotely. Is they're the same size as I am? And it looks like we're having a conversation. Um, I mean, I'm make there's, there's taller, a lot though. of nuance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Taller. I'm going to make, yeah. you know, I'm going to go from like five ten to like six, two, I'm going to be six, two in those meetings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'll, t- I'll take that. <laughs> Well, it is, it is a brave new future um, ahead of us, and and uh, you know, Realcom is certainly on on the forefront. So uh, yeah, look, I look forward to the next event. So I'm going to you know wrap up with with the question I ask everybody, which is, you know, if you could project yourself, you know, 20, 25 years in the future, and you could have you know a service or a gadget or just something that makes your personal life better what would it be and what would it do? Um, besides, let's say a baseball cap that would grow my hair back again. That could be um, it. That could be you know, what would be, what would be nice? It would be fun. This is actually, might be a little weird, but you know how you get, how Google Translate works? And you can, you can hold it up. And I, I, I use this a lot. Uh, you have a foreign speaker. It's foreign, you hold up the phone. And while they're speaking, it actually does a translation. What would be cool, I think, anyway, as 
have something, have a device that it doesn't just actually translate verbatim the words that they're saying, but it, 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 it tells you about really what they're thinking and what's in their heart. And, and you really get a, you really get a, a peek into where somebody really is at, uh, you know, both spiritually, mentally, and emotionally. Um, I think that would be kind of cool because I think uh, in a lot of cases, our, our verbal communications is we, we either don't take the time and I'm guilty of this uh, to really articulate uh, what we mean and what we feel. And I, I'd love to see something that helps us connect more on a human level. I love that. That's, that's a, that's a great one. And I think, um, you know, the whole purpose of this is to put it out there. So someone will build it. <laughs> yeah, listen, they're doing so emotion may, sensing now. So some of the stuff that's out there is. Yeah. 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 That's great. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. And thanks so much for joining us. This has been fun. Thank you. I appreciate it.